this new month we will begin a series on humility and uh, I'd like to begin with a subtitle under this subject of humility the subtitle is this morning will be exposing pride exposing pride I've not chosen this series because I have attained a level of humility that you should learn from me this is not lessons on humility and how I attain it. This topic is incredibly challenging. When you go to the Bible, you have hundreds and hundreds of scripture verses that deal with pride and humility. You have indirect words relating to pride and humility, and you have concepts relating to pride and humility. This, this subject also is also overwhelming because of the sheer amount of literature, sheer amount of books written on pride and humility. This is a huge task because it is also a painful subject to speak about. As a pastor, I am a sinner. And I know I have cause to be humble. I know I am proud. Yet I do not know the extent of my pride. When we look at this topic <clears throat> of pride, we're looking at something that resides innately in our heart. And you're talking about humility, something that is so difficult to attain. Pride loves to be left alone. But as Christians, we are to put our foot on its neck and kill it. If you're here this morning and you think this message does not apply to you, it is because you're proud. Pride is one of the most subtle and self-justifying sins that you deal with. See, often, um, most of our sins we are, are well known by us and it's easy to observe. When we are covetous, we can know that we are covetous. When we are angry, sinful anger, we know that we have unrighteous anger. But pride remains one of those sins that are insulated in us, in our own hearts. It is tough to root it out. On the other hand, humility is not well understood. Humility is not valued in our day and age. Nobody gets an award for being the most humble. People can be rewarded for being loyal, for being good, but hardly do you hear of anyone being rewarded for being humble. <clears throat> Let me begin by <clears throat> quoting a number of preachers who have spoken about pride then we shall look at its definition. First quote of pride by Robert Rayburn. Pride is the idolatry of self. End of quote. You see, pride boils down to this. Self is on the throne. A desire to use everything for self. Jonathan Edwards he says, Pride is the worst viper that is in the heart. It is the first sin that ever entered into the universe and it lies lowest of all in the foundation of the whole building of sin 
And it is the most secret, deceitful, and unsearchable in its ways of working, of any lust whatsoever. It is ready to mix with everything, and nothing is so hateful to God and contrary to the spirit of the gospel or of so dangerous consequence. And there is no one, there is no one sin that does so much let in the devil into the hearts of the saints and expose them to his delusions, end of quote. What he's saying is pride is the foundation of all other sins. You can look at all other sins and at the bedrock, at the foundation of it, is what? Is pride. And he says it mixes with everything. The problem with pride is it is hard to starve because it can live on anything, isn't it? It can survive on any sin. It is mixed with every other sin. Matthew Henry says we should take heed of pride. It is a sin that turns angels into devils. Stuart Court defines pride as a self-focused, selfish worldview, a master's mindset rather than that of a servant, a pursuit of self-recognition, exaltation, and gratification, a desire to control and use all things for one's own benefit. Self-pity is also pride. Pride is an idol. Pride, as you can see, is the worst of all sins, probably the worst of sins. It is the root of all other sins. It is the sin of Satan. As you can see in Isaiah 14, verse 12, and Ezekiel chapter 28. Pride is the sin that allows all other sins to be committed. And you ought to avoid it. It is a grievous sin. It is a mark of apostasy. You read of Romans 1, and one of the mark of God giving up men to a reprobate mind is what? One of the, uh, one of the sins listed there is they are proud. And so it is the mark of the worst kind of apostasy. It is it was the basis upon which the first sin entered into the world. False teachers are described as proud, that they hate authority. And so pride, as I, uh, let me define it. <clears throat> it is an inordinate self-esteem in which one thinks more highly of himself than he ought to be. To the point that he views man and God with contempt and indifference. It is an inordinate self-esteem in which one thinks more highly of himself than he ought to be. To the point that he views man and God with contempt and indifference. We ought to think of ourselves in a certain way. But pride makes us to view other people to have attitudes and perceptions towards other people with contempt and indifference.
what does the Bible say about pride? Let's turn to James chapter 4, verse 6. James chapter 4 verse 6, someone can read for us. So the first thing the Bible tells us about pride is that God hates not only the pride, but also who? The proud, isn't it? God opposes the proud. God resists the proud. God is constantly working against the proud. Often you have this common phrase that God hates the sinner. God hates sin, but not the sinner, isn't it? But you can see clearly there that God is opposed not only to the sin of pride, but also to the, to the proud. God is a perfect being. That he can love a sinner fallen in Adam as well as have a perfect hatred towards a wicked sinner. First Peter chapter 5, verse 5. First Peter is to the right of James. Chapter 5, verse 5. Someone can read that. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Peter is addressing young people. Um, obviously, there's a tendency for us uh, to be unruly, to be proud. He says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Proverbs chapter 6. Proverbs chapter 6, verse 16 to 19. Someone can read that. list of here's a list of the things that God hates and the first thing is what the first thing is haughty eyes isn't it these are eyes that are ambitious 
eyes that are elevated in pride, eyes that look down on others. Pride is at the top of the list. If you and I were making a list of the things that we hate, will pride be at the top of our list? Proverbs 16 verse 5 says, Everyone who is arrogant in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Be assured he will not go unpunished. So the first thing we see from scripture is that God not only hates the pride, but he also hates the proud. Secondly, scripture tells us that pride brings destruction. Pride brings destruction. Proverbs 16 verse 18. Can turn Proverbs 16 verse 18. Someone can read that. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. So destruction is coming to those who are proud. Pride is the sin that induced Adam to fall and it destroys internally. Pride is like no other sin because every other sin is turning away from God. But pride is a sin that attacks God face to face. Pride is a sin that tells God, I want to dethrone you. God hates the proud. Richard Baxter says, Pride was with me when I prepared in my study. Pride was with me when I went to the pulpit. Pride was with me when I went home. Pride was with me when I went back to my study again. None of us can claim that they are without pride. This is a sin that we ought to be fighting about, to be fighting and avoiding. Jonathan Edo says that if you removed one layer of pride, you find that there are more layers of pride. Then thirdly, pride is a self-deceiving sin. Pride is a self-deceiving sin. If I'm lustful, I will know that I'm lustful. But how many people here can say that I'm a proud person? It's because pride in itself, it is very self-deceiving. Proverbs 26 verse verse 12. Since you're in Proverbs, you can turn there. Proverbs 26 verse 12. Proverbs 26 verse 12. Someone can read that. This man who is wise in his own eyes, who is he? It's a description of who? Of a proud person, isn't it? You see, in Proverbs, there's an escalation. 
there's a description of the naive and the simple. These are people who are caught in the moral dilemma of decisions and they are frequently young people. They're inexperienced, the simple, the naive. And if you're a teenager, often you are in the category of the naive and the simple. In the book of Proverbs, you're not wise yet. If the simple, if the naive make a bad choice, at some point, in the book of Proverbs, they become who? They become a fool. And you read the Proverbs, and fools have all kinds of problems, isn't it? But the fool might possibly be won over. But if he doesn't, he isn't won over, if a fool becomes worse, in the book of Proverbs, he becomes a mocker or a scoffer. That is the escalation in the book of Proverbs. So that a mocker or a scoffer is someone who has lost his way, almost incapable of being restored. Solomon says, if you look at a person who is proud, he is wise in his own eyes, he says, there is more hope for a fool, which is a slim hope than for him. There is more hope for a fool. There is more hope of restoration for a fool than for this person who is proud. It is such a self-deceiving sin. How many people can be counseled? How many people can be told that you're a proud person? And they acknowledge that I've never known that I'm a proud person. It's because this sin is insidious. It is very subtle. It is self-deceiving. And I can tell you it resides in every single one of us. In the young ones, in the old ones, and everybody in between. In Hebrews, there are 12 words in the Old Testament to describe pride. In the Greek Bible, in the New Testament, there are 17 words to describe pride, as if one is never enough. You look at the church in Corinth, and fundamentally many people say that the main problem was what? Division. But we'll say that at the root of that division is what? Is pride. Many, many a times Paul writes to them and says what? He says that they are puffed up, they are arrogant, they are proud. And he has to remind them that love is not proud. So those three things I've stated um, is very clear what the Bible says about pride. And then I'd like us to see the characteristics of pride. Characteristics of pride. What are the characteristics of pride? What comes to mind? What is some of the marks of pride you can observe in your life? You can observe in people's life or you can see in scripture. of pride arrogance uh, what do you mean by arrogance 
have some, something to tell someone, yet they are not willing to be told. And you may be wrong. They may be right. But there is a, there's a particular unwillingness that the pr 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 proud heart has to be told anything. Yeah. And therefore translating into, into that um, what the, the the wise man tells us is arrogant pride. Mm. It's, it's what you're talking about being a scoffer. Mm. It's when someone is told something they don't want to hear, they become a fool, and then Reduce like that. They, after becoming a fool, they become a scoffer who, who can't hear anything. Yeah. And the Bible says a scoffer is the arrogant, haughty man. Mm. Um, mm. That's Proverbs 21. Scoffer is the name of the arrogant, haughty man who acts with arrogant pride. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Very interesting that <laughs> the, the, the one, uh, the one who receives correction in Proverbs is who the wise man isn't it <laughs> the fool doesn't want any correction the fool is arrogant he will not take advice he will not take counsel another characteristic of pride so the first characteristic is it is the sin of Satan himself Turn to First Timothy chapter three, verse six. First Timothy chapter three, verse six. Qualifications of an elder. We are told that it should be a person who is not newly brought into the faith. Why? Someone can read First Timothy chapter three, verse six. person who is a brand new Christian should not be brought into a place of leadership. Why? Because there's a danger of him being puffed up, being conceited. And in the event that he becomes conceited, the Bible tells us there that he is falling into the same sin and condemnation which was incurred by the devil himself. If you read Isaiah chapter 14, Ezekiel chapter 28 on the king of Tyre, you might know that these two passages speak historically about the fall of Satan. And the common denominator in those passages is that pride has lifted himself above God. That makes perfect sense. Because when the devil tempted our first parents, what was the lie? The lie was, you will become like God. Satan tried to dethrone God, but he failed. He comes to man, he says what? You can become like God. Jonathan Edwards is right, that it is the first sin 
in the universe to be ever committed. It was the principal sin of our arch enemy. So make no mistake that the first characteristic of pride is it is the sin of Satan himself. We are never more like the devil than when? Then we, we are proud. We are never more like Jesus Christ than when we are humble. Secondly, it is divisive. It is divisive. How many proud people do you know are peacemakers? Pride and peacemaking do not go together. Because the proud are so driven with their interests. They think they know everything. You have the church in Corinth. People were driven with pride to the point that they attach themselves to who? To certain preachers. I am of Paul. I am of Apollos. I am of Cephas. They attach themselves to preachers. Pride divides the church. Thirdly, pride resists to be taught. It hates authority. It hates criticism. Pride resists to be taught. It hates authority and it hates criticism. This is a sign of pride. Pride says what? You're not going to teach me anything. How dare you correct me? But it's the humble who receive correction, isn't it? In the book of Proverbs, it is the wise who are humble. It is, the book is written to those who are humble. Because those who are humble will receive correction. But those who are proud will reject it. The proud person is defensive. They think they know everything. And it's possible for us to be guilty of this. Pride resists authority. Because pride thinks that it should be the authority, isn't it? That's one of the characteristics of false teachers. They hate authority. They hate criticism. Number four, pride demands to be recognized and praised. Pride demands to be recognized and praised. See, pride hates serving behind the scene. And that's why Peter, writing to young men, he tells them what? To be subject to the elders to clothe themselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Those are tendencies of young people as we are. We aspire recognition. We want to stand out. If you're gifted, if you're successful, you want people to recognize you. But I tell you, it's better to be humble. And then fifthly, pride resents trials. Pride hates trials. Why do you think pride hates trials? Why do you think a proud person will not want to go through affliction or hardship? 
because they are self-consumed. They're self-consumed. They can't imagine. Um, <coughs> pride makes us wonder why, why, why should we go through trials? Yeah. Uh, because we have kind of elevated ourselves to a particular level, mm. and we believe that because we are at a certain level, mm. there are things that we should not go through. But God uses afflictions to humble us. Yeah. Exactly. Pride is ungrateful. It thinks that it deserves more than it has. The proud person thinks that he should be treated better than he is. And that's why the proud complains at trials. Pride, pride will say, why me? Why do I deserve this? The truth is what all of us deserve what far worse, isn't it? All of us deserve eternal damnation. None of us deserve the next breath that you're drawing. We don't deserve food that we ate this morning or water that we drink. We don't, we don't deserve to walk on God's earth. But pride says, I, I deserve it. Why should I not have it? Pride will say, why did the other person have it and not I? So that pride always hurt. Because it believes that it should be treated better. And sometimes pride accuses God of what? Of not treating him better. Number six, pride treats people with harshness. Why do the proud treat people with harshness? Why do the proud treat people with harshness? As you're thinking, you could turn to Psalm chapter 10. we have a classic example of pride and how this proud man views God and how he treats fellow man. I told him verse 1, why, O Lord, do you stand far away? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? In arrogance, the wicked hotly pursue the poor. Let them be caught in the schemes that they have devised. For the wicked boast of the desires of his soul and the one greedy for gain curses and renounces God. In, his, in the pride of his face, the wicked does not seek him. All his thoughts are, there is no God. His ways prosper at all times. Your judgments are on high, out of his sight. As for all his foes, he puffs at them. So the proud persecute the poor because he has self-exaltation over this fellow man. He seeks to take advantage of others. He seeks to destroy others. He does not fear the judgment of God. He has no respect for fellow man. Because the proud hate authority, they do not acknowledge 
the authority of God and that is why they mistreat others. So the proud treat people with harshness. They may guise themselves in the name of I'm a truthful person. I'm a straight shooter. But you're an arrogant person. Pride delights in rebuke and correction. The Bible exhausts us as Christians to rebuke, to correct one another. But for the proud, it goes overboard. He loves it, he cherishes it. The proud has no consideration of how his words will affect the other person. He does not build up, he tears down. He never calculates or weighs his words. To them, they say, I'm ruthless with the truth, I'm a straight shooter. I don't take any prisoners. He's brutal with truth. And he says, I'm going to tell you the way it is, isn't it? Number seven, the proud are always correcting. They're always correcting over the most minute details. Have you ever come across people, you could say Second Corinthians instead of First Corinthians, and immediately uh, they are on your neck. Um, you see, if you, if you hear people make mistakes, someone says conscience instead of conscience. Someone says the book of Revelations. I love the book of Re- Revelations instead of Revelation. You ought not to quickly attack them, isn't it? But when they say there are four members of the Trinity, what should you do? You should not keep quiet, isn't it? Because that, that, that's a very wrong doctrinal statement they're making. That is something you could go to war with them, isn't it? But simple mistakes, minute details, there's no need for you to attack them. It's because the proud always think themselves as right. And so I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with engaging with people of different opinions. There's an arrogant way to do it, and there's a humble way to do it, isn't it? Number eight, pride boasts and glories itself. How does pride boast and glories in itself look like? How does it manifest? Pride boasts and glories itself. How does it manifest? How does it look like even in our society today? Okay. 
Yes. True. What you have today, many false teachers, isn't it? People claiming to be Jesus Christ. Um, yeah. How else do you think pride boasts and glories itself? You, you have the social media, isn't it? People posting their selfies every day, every now and then. There's nothing wrong with posting photos once in a while. Uh, but when the social media becomes uh, the thing that controls you, you want to be there, uh, look at how many people have liked your photos, how many people have commented. Those are the things that excite you. Then you are preoccupied with what? With self. Even for us reformed people. <laughs> you can say, um, when I was finishing uh, reading, reading this systematic theology, I came across this quote. You see, <laughs> we, we don't want to know whether you have completed it, isn't it? <laughs> no one asked you whether you have read the systematic theology, but you want to, to glory in yourself. And then number nine, pride can look like self-pity. Beware of self-pity, brethren. Beware of self-loathing, because it is another form of pride. If you're corrected by someone and you say, I'm terrible, I'm a sinner, I'm good for nothing, I'm unworthy, you're not telling us something that we don't know. Self-pity, I quote um, John Piper, I quote, boasting is the response of pride to success. Self-pity is the response of pride to suffering. Boasting says, I deserve admiration because I've achieved so much. Self-pity says, I deserve admiration because I have sacrificed so much. Boasting is the voice of pride. Sorry, boasting is the voice of pride in the heart of the strong. Self-pity is the voice of pride in the heart of the weak. The reason self-pity does not look like pride is that it appears to be needy. But the need arises from a wounded ego and the desire of the self-pitying is not really for others to see them as helpless, but heroes. The need self-pity feels does not come from a sense of unworthiness, but from a sense of unrecognized worthiness. It is the response of unapplauded pride. John Piper, end of quote. And so self-pity is a source of pride. And then number 10, pride opposes grace and love's works. Pride opposes grace and love's works. And here I'm not talking about works that flow from faith, but I'm talking about the kind of work that people think they can do to justify themselves. People can say they are saved by faith alone, by grace alone, through Christ alone, through scripture, uh, by means of scripture alone, for the glory of God alone, but deep down, they feel bad 
because they don't get a chance to contribute anything. Pride mocks the idea of free sovereign grace. Pride is what drives man-centered theology. Pride is what drives Armenian theology. Pride drives the hatred of total depravity and conditional election. Pride hates limited atonement. It hates the free, eternal, sovereign election. It opposes the idea of irresistible grace. Pride says, if I have to persevere until the end, it is because I have earned that perseverance. It is not by the grace of the Almighty God. So pride says, I earn what I get. That may be true in the kind of business you're doing, in the kind of work you're doing, but in the economy of heaven, that is not true. First Corinthians 4.7, um, Paul is writing to this church uh, that was deep in pride. And he says, for who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? The proud had the idea of salvation is a free gift from God. Because the proud want to boast about something that they have done. It is the heart of self-righteousness. It is the heart of work righteousness. I remember being a Catholic and I used to think I am way better than Protestants because I was proud. We are not born believing in the doctrines of sovereign grace. Woven in us prior to our salvation is the Adamic DNA, our work righteousness. But if it goes unchecked, we will end up resisting the glorious truths that salvation is of the Lord. We ought to say as the psalmist, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts. I want to challenge you today as we begin this series on humility. To pray to God that he may search your heart, that he may expose your pride. It means going through layers of insulation. Do it. Pray to God that his Holy Spirit may expose your pride. He may bring it to light. Here's the problem with pride. It is the darling sin. It never wants to go out. But you must pluck it out. God told the nation of Israel, I allowed you to wander in the wilderness. For what reason? To humble you, isn't it? And sometimes God may use afflictions, suffering, pain to humble us. Ask God to expose it. Run to the fountain filled with precious blood. Run to Calvary. Run to the one who, has, who shed his blood for the proud. Run to the one who says, learn from me, for I am what? Meek and humble of heart. Run to the one who can work humility in your heart. Be determined as a Christian to mortify this sin. Kill it. Pray to God to show you that the enemy is not out there. The enemy is not your spouse or your neighbor or your friend. The enemy is inside here in the heart. And it is so dangerous than a cancer disease. It leads to destruction. Run from it. Run to the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And then can we say like Jacob, I am unworthy of all the goodness and the mercies that God has shown me. We can say like David, I am a worm. We can say like Paul, I'm the chiefest of sinners. I'm the least of all apostles. The only place our pride can be killed is at the cross. And how can you be proud when your Savior died for you? We sing, when I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain I count as loss. He says what? I pour contempt on what? All my pride. So Christ must increase. I must decrease. I must flee to Christ for strength to overcome my sins. So may the Lord help us. Let us pray. Father, we pray that you may help us in the midst of this serious, terrible sin that resides insidiously in our heart. It is not a respectable sin because it is the worst of sins. Grant us your grace, Lord, to obey you, to love you, to put to death the deeds of the flesh. Help us to walk in a manner that is worthy of the gospel of Christ. Grant us humility, Lord, and help us to follow in the footsteps, in the example of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This we pray in Jesus' name.